Hey everyone, this is Sam, better known as That Girl with the Curls, and I'm recording this just to kind of give you a heads up that the first 14 episodes are essentially, they were previously recorded for the website Word of the Nerd that I used to write for. And as I am no longer a writer for that website, I decided to take my podcast with me uh, to my own website, The Maniacal Geek, and uh, use this as my forum for interviewing people and whatnot and saying things that I want to say, which, you know, hopefully this introduction is getting that across. If not, I apologize. So uh, you will hear this on every recording for the first 14. After that, they will be different recordings, uh, just kind of, you know, intros basically to whomever's on the podcast. So if you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, please skip ahead. Uh, if not, uh, just enjoy the rest of the show, and I hope you keep listening and come back for more. All right, thank you so much, and uh, have fun with this episode. Today I am joined by fellow writer and podcaster Miguel Luevano. Miguel, say hello. Oh, hi everybody. Did I pronounce your last name right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I know it's pretty good. Luevano. <laughs> I will butcher any name possible. Um, and we are also joined today by uh, a, a gentleman that I met at EC uh, ECC Comic Con. It's too many C's in that damn name. Uh, he is the writer of Captain Midnight, Ghosted, and the most recent book, Nailbiter. Please welcome everyone, Joshua Williamson. Josh, say hi. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? We're doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So, yeah, before we cut off and came back, which maybe we'll add that in as bonus material, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that good Disney talk. Talking about, well, we were talking about haunted houses, too. Mm-hmm. We were. And abandoned okay. Sears. Is- yes. Uh, just all uh, abandoned buildings. Just scary movies in general. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't. I will talk through them. That's like my coping mechanism. So I'm like the walking, talking mystery science theater person. <laughs> so. so I will. Uh, I'll make it through most scary movies, but there are a few that I'll just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna pause this for a little bit. Come back to this. Yeah. That's how I get through most stressful things, like Breaking Bad. When I first started watching Breaking Bad, I would only watch it in 15 minute increments. Because I would get so stressed out, I'd be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stop a little bit. I gotta, I gotta come back to this a little bit. I get, I get that way with the show Doug, like on Nickelodeon. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Really? Like certain scenes, like where his, he's like obviously like super stressed or anxious, or he's got like his nervousness built up. Like it would, it would really like fuck with my head because I was like nine and I was like, why is this kid all stressed out about this? He's like, am I gonna have to go through this? Like when I'm in high school, and then I would just flip out and like leave the room and come back later. I get it. You were just really stressed uh, out about the. You were really stressed out about the beats. Yeah, about everything on that show, man. I don't know. It made it seem like life is kind of a drag. Yeah. Is. Bang on the trash can, man. What was the name of that superhero? He was. It was uh. Oh, Quail, Quail man. man. Quail man. That's it. Yeah. Jesus. Oh my. I think, I think someone was telling me there was like a fan theory that Doug was actually just a, a schizophrenic. And uh, and that he was acting out all these things because you do see him kind of doing it in the doing the actions in the show in the midst of the uh, the fantasy. Yeah. And no one does anything about it. They don't acknowledge it. They don't say, "What were you just doing?" <laughs> like, just let him do his thing. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, he's just a weird kid. You know what are you gonna do? 
He's an imaginative kid. He, he likes to think of himself as a superhero and saving the day with a girl named Mayonnaise. Um, <laughs> that's what everyone wants. Uh, but comic books, we should get back to com- We should do comic books. Cause that's, what, that's what you're here for, right, Josh? That's right. I, I like comic books. Excellent. And um, it's very fitting because yesterday uh, was the uh, basically the, the end of the second arc of Ghosted. Yep. Which ended on a oh my god note and uh, oh my god note and <laughs> yeah yeah it was that was a fun one to do because I knew um, oh, that issue was a rough one uh, and actually I had actually finished it uh, back in I thought I had finished it a long time ago and I turned it in and then like months later like no one catches a, a very big problem with it. Until mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. It might have been Emerald City, actually. Um, it might have been earlier than that. But I was at a convention and I get this email, and it's the uh, it's the artist Davide, and Davide's like, "Hey, do you know there's two page elevens in here?" <laughs> and I was like, "What? No, 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 no." So I had to go back through and restructure like the middle part. Basically, mm-hmm. the whole scene where when when Jackson is talking to you see Jackson's flashback to how he killed Juliet. Um, mm-hmm. That sequence was actually going to be longer, and so a lot of that got cut. That's why it's only two panels. Uh, oh. I, I regretted. I wanted to do. I was upset because I wanted to do more of that whole thing with with Anderson seeing him kill Juliet and realizing that's why. That's a part of why he's so messed up because you know Juliet's the only person that ever loved him, and then then that also explains why he has a nervousness about knives that he's had since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ran out of room. But so with the rest of that issue, like. It was just a fun one to write. I remember when I wrote the whole scene with uh with Trick, um, which made me so sad, so sad. Me too. Favorite. <laughs> I got a lot of people who were messaging me like "You're a bastard" and "Fuck you" and all that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, because I of really? that. yeah, people were mad. People were, but they were like jokingly mad. You know what I mean? Because they, I, I made them feel something. Um, <laughs> originally, Trick was not going to die. Like that happened while I was scripting. It wasn't. It was not in the outline. He was gonna be in the next arc, um, and I kept like, you know, playing with it. And, and then I realized at one point I was talking to a friend of mine, um, Dennis Culver, who does uh, Edison Rex, the artist on Edison Rex. Mm-hmm. And him and I will sometimes bounce ideas back and forth. And I was like, God, this is missing something. I feel like it's just where I want to be, and I know that. I want Jackson to be at, like, the worst place he's going to be at. And the thing is, I actually had written 11 before I wrote 9 and 10. Oh, really? Because Goran was going to do... Or he's, he Goran did 11. He came back to do issue 11. Uh, and so I was like, well, I know Jackson is in this, like, horrible, horrible place in 11. But I felt like what I was doing in 10 wasn't building up to that. Like, the emotion wasn't there. And then I was like, ugh. Like, I know what I have to do. You know? And, and it was... Dennis is the one that said it out loud. Dennis is like, oh, you got to kill Trick. And I'm like, I know that, but I don't want to. Yeah. Like, I really didn't want to. And I was like, well, I already think about it. So I went for a walk. And on the walk, I thought about it a lot. And I came back. And I realized that it actually made sense because of sort of at the beginning of issue six, him establishing Trick as like his only friend in the world. And then mm-hmm. having Trick give that speech to him at the beginning of 10, which that's stuff I've already been written. Um, with him being the one to sort of slap Jackson and be like, snap out of it. Like, what's wrong with you? It made me yeah, realize the, more that that was what needed to happen. Yeah, it's the it's the the one person who um, it, within the, these two arcs who has been you know kind of like that grounding force for Jackson. 
and uh, and to lose him is yeah like the the last kind of like un- is like an untethering uh, because after you know after trick spoilers by the way people for pretty much anything Josh writes mm-hmm. uh, yeah because I'm not gonna we'll, we'll talk about it yeah just don't don't worry we're we're gonna we're, by the time this drops it, it'll all be out anyway yeah well it's not came out yesterday so I mean it should be fine yeah. If you haven't read it by now, I don't know what your problem is. That's what I think. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, because that. First of all, I love that he was just like picking up all the Necronomicons he possibly could. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. The, I mean, did you tell uh, Davide to to make them look like the actual Necronomicon from um, uh, Evil Dead? No, I said the I said the books. Just have him second. Like I I said comically walking out with a stack of books taller than his head. Like that was really oh. it. And he pretty much did that. Like he made it like you know <laughs> he's just like stealing shit. <laughs> you know, like, he can never not steal stuff. Um, and it was funny, because at the end, when Jackson says, uh, when Nina tells him, like, what what's next, and he's like, you know, if it's not nailed down, steal it. That was something that Trick was going to say if Trick had survived. Um, mm-hmm. Trick has been on borrowed time, though. I don't really talk about this a lot, but originally Trick died in issue five. Oh, really? Yeah, so originally issue five... Here, one second, my leg's falling asleep. Um, issue five... So in issue five... Anderson um, was going to kill Trick. Okay. And I don't. I think it was Sean Makovitz, my editor. We talked about it a lot, and he was like, "Ah," and, and he did die. Like he died this like crazy death in issue five, and they were just like, "Oh, it's not adding up, right?" And so I was like, "You know what? Uh, let's change it." Because I had been working on issue six, and I was like, "I really want to have Trick in issue six. I want to have mm-hmm. Trick sleeping on Jackson's couch." So I was like, well, let's make him survive then. So he was always kind of on borrowed time. like, But he fits so well into this arc. Uh, and then his death leads to Jackson being at the darkest the darkest place he's been in in a while. Um, mm-hmm. Which is good for the next arc. And then what I was planning on doing with the next arc, like Nina stays. Nina, oh. Nina stays with Jackson. So you're gonna develop. You're gonna develop that relationship a bit more. Yeah, and, and it's gonna be more of of because uh, I liked I liked her, and I realized at one point I wasn't even giving her enough screen time as it was or enough to do. Um, and she has probably one of my favorite. I, I don't want to say what it is. My, my favorite line is issue fifteen that we've done in the book. Um, when we get there, when you read issue fifteen, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. She has yeah. she has a line that she says to Jackson that uh, I think people will like if they've been reading from the very beginning. Okay, cool. You know, because I, I did like how Jackson got through to her. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I remember when we talked at Emerald City, mm-hmm. you were saying that, you know, like, issue issue nine was going to be much more exposition heavy mm-hmm. uh, because you needed to get certain pieces of information out, which, you know, came to fruition in issue 10. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea, like, Nina never did anything for herself, you know, just she she just kind of let things happen. And that's why she got possessed and everything. And then Jackson kind of appealing, you know, basically connecting to her via that, where he's just like, you've been hiding, you've been running away, and I know because I did the same thing, and this is the first chance you get to fight back finally. Yeah, I'm glad you caught up on that, because that's the thing that I was trying to do with that, where it's like everything Jackson is saying to Nina, he's he's talking about himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she'll be in the next arc. She'll be in uh, 12 through 15, and, and pretty much... <sighs> I don't give away too much because I don't want her people to think that like she's not in danger, but she's gonna be in the book for a long time. Okay. Um, 
I'm really excited about it. I don't know this next arc will be interesting, and it still has them dealing with uh, with Trick's death and what it what you know that means to Jackson. And then also, you know, he got arrested at the end. Yeah, well, and then King showing up too, and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was yep. like, uh, I don't know, oh, what was it, the psychic uh, from Rustic, the first arc? Yeah. Yeah, is she planning, are you planning on bringing her back at all? Uh, or you... I don't want to say. You know, I was... <laughs> like asking your parents, like, uh, and they answer maybe, and you're like, oh, maybe means something. I know what that means. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, like, and now Marcus is back too, so. Yeah, oh my god, that was, him and the, because, what I do appreciate about uh, your writing, especially on Ghosted, is there's a there's a casualness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that people don't take things seriously. It's just that there's also this sense of people are just acting the way people would still. You know, yeah. the El Maestro, when he was talking to uh, uh, Jackson, there's just he still sounds like a regular guy. He, it's not like, oh, Jackson, uh, you know, it's. So it's more like, dude, come on, just join my side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, do you do you try to approach things from that kind of like a grounded level at times when you're writing? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know why it's like that. It's just how my head works. Like I don't. I've always noticed that I don't really. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's funny because I'll talk to guys like Joe Keating because I think Joe Keating writes at a very uh, bigger scope, I should suppose. Um, you know, and I think he just comes from different sort of uh, schools of thought, you know? Like, he's very much a, a Kirby, Mobius guy, which I love those guys, but I'm much more of a Brian K. Vaughn, Garth Ennis, mm-hmm. Bendis, sort of. Uh, and that's that's just where my head is. That's how I write. Like, I think, I see everything at eye level, too. Like, all, whenever I visualize comics, that's why a lot of my books have a, that sort of eye level thing going on. If uh, because that's how I see it. I see everything at eye level. Everything is either far away or close up, like very far away Kubrickish, or it's like close up. So that's just how I think about it. It's, yeah, it's just very eye level, grounded, I suppose. Uh, it, come, it comes across in the writing. I mean, that's I mean, again, it's well, like you said about like Brian K. Vaughan and, and Bendis and everything. Like the, those are the things. Like especially now, I think a lot more readers are are more into. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to have. We don't want to have dialogue that's just so... We like philosophy every once in a while, but we don't want to wax poetic all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's moments for that. Like, you know, there's, there's time and a place, but it can't be every page. Yeah. It's like, I have a grand statement about something. Please don't. Um, I, I would really appreciate it if you just did something. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, there's a problem with comics now. I think it's... It's, it's a... A worriness about the about the audience mm-hmm. that you're worried the audience is going to pick things up and I don't worry about that as much I like to believe that the audience is smarter than other people do I guess um, you know like we were me and another guy were talking last night about um, sometimes I'll have repeat images in the books like I purposely will pick out images and things that will line up with other images from other issues or somebody will say something that happened, like, that will totally reference something that happened, like, four issues ago. Uh, yeah. But I don't point it out. I don't have another character go, like, oh, that happened, this and this. It's like, nah, I just leave it. And if they pick up on it, they pick up on it. If they don't, they don't. But the same with the dialogue. I try not to make the dialogue so... Uh, I guess the 9-9, nine, nine, I felt like had a lot of exposition going on. But there are times where I... I don't like when a character says exactly what they're thinking. And, and yeah. does it in, like, five sentences on a one-word balloon. Like, 
Uh, and I see that sometimes, and I'm like, ugh. But I know what that comes from. And, and at times it comes from um, editors, you know? Like, I think it's editors' jobs to make sure everything reads and is... Uh, I would say consistent, but consistent is something editors should do. But they want to make sure it, it goes through, I guess, you know? That's what their job is. Yeah, they. I guess the. I suppose yeah, with the editors, they want to make sure that every reader has uh, the same experience where they can pick it up and understand what's going on. Whereas you, the writer, definitely want to. I would. I would think want to challenge more. You know, if not yourself and the reader in general. Well, it's the comics I like. I mean, like I look at. Uh, I don't know if you guys read Lock and Key. Did you guys read Lock and Key? Mm-hmm. I've read a few volumes. Yeah. Oh, so good! You should read it. Um, yeah, it's. Oof. Is it? It's amazing, and and yeah. that guy like so many things are about repeat images. It's all those moments where like you figure out things when the characters figuring out things. Like mm-hmm. that's shit I love. Like when you there's moments in Lock and Key where you're reading, and then like one of the characters will look at something, and then they have a kind of oh shit face, and you're like oh, and then you also make the oh shit <laughs> face, you know? And it's like that's the kind of stuff I like to do, and that's the thing with um, with Ghost that I try and do a lot of that. Like there's a thing. It's going to happen in issue 11 that's going to reference something from issue 1, and it's going to be one of those things that I've, I've been saying from the beginning, um, that there's something in issue 1, there's a clue in issue 1, and no one ever talks about it. Like, no one ever came to me and asked me about it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see when people go and they read 11, if they go back and look at number 1, and they're going to be like, oh, it was right there. Like, that was there all along. I did have one question after, since the you revealed that it, it takes someone doing something wrong to get possessed. Yeah. Uh, how is it that Jackson didn't get possessed? you got to keep reading. Damn it! Yeah. There's something, <laughs> Pretty good I mean, answer. You know, when you read uh, in issue 8, there's a scene in issue 8 where I did a contest about this. I was trying to see if he picks it up. Because issue eight is also a clue for the bigger thing. Issue eight is, issue six, there's always little clues for stuff, especially in the second arc. The first arc, only a little bit, it's there, but definitely in the, the second arc, like almost every issue has a clue about the bigger thing going on with Jackson. And mm-hmm. the maestro says it at one point. Like, the maestro pretty much tells you what's happening. <laughs> and no one ever picked up on it. Even did, it was even one of the contest questions. Damn it. And people were people were like, no, they didn't know. But it was like, oh, that's interesting. Why does the maestro say that? The maestro says exactly what's going on, <laughs> and no one ever picked up on it. So, uh, what's going on with Jackson is in the book. Like, if when you get to the last page of eleven, it's a mm-hmm. big clue. You're gonna be like, okay, I kind of know what's going on now. And then when you go back through, when you read, especially number one, and then if you read one, and then read six through ten, you're gonna be like, mm-hmm. oh, it was right there. Like that okay. was there this whole time. And I never saw it. I have homework. Damn it, you're giving me homework. Well, when 11 comes out, people are going to see... I, I wonder what's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see if people are going to get to that last page and be like... Because it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what people people think. Because it's, it's ambiguous. It's going to be ambiguous. Some people are going to be like, I know exactly what's happening. And some people are like, well, did I see that? What's happening? So, But it's ambiguous for a reason, because I don't want to give it away completely. You know, It's, it's the biggest clue since issue one. Now is that I mean it obviously that is a worry for you right that you're you're laying clues down but no one no one seems to be you know maybe no one picks them up or anything like how how much does that worry you are you just like look I'm I'm writing what I want to write if they don't pick it up then that's fine but at least I I left it there for them yeah that's it I mean that's the thing like I, I believe that when I get to the last issue of Ghosted 
Um, when I get to the last issue of Ghosted, I will be able to tell a story that I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And when someone reads it all, I believe that I'm writing in a way that when someone sits down and reads the entire run, they're going to not, if they've already read the last issue, when they go back to reread everything, they're going to be like, Oh, this is all, this was all here. You know, like that's, that's kind of what I'm going for. That's what I enjoy. Um, you're, you're in for the long, the, the long game kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's how Jackson is, right? It's all about the long con. Yeah. You know? So it's like, there's a, there's a thing, there's a thing happening. There's a, listen, yeah, you know, I don't want to, yeah, you'll see. Well, I was just curious if you're, uh, do you have like a set, like, um, cause we talked to, uh, Curtis Weeb, uh, not very long ago mm-hmm. and he, like with Peter Panzerfest has already planned out how he's going to end it. Yeah. You know, do you have all the arcs planned out that you want to tell or is it, it you know, too far out in the future? It's for a you? mix of two things. It's, mm-hmm. I have the, I have, like, up to a certain point, and then I have a few arcs after that that are planned that could work that I still want to do. Um, like, one of those arcs, I can tell you one of those arcs are. One of those arcs is um, the Trask family coming back. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're pissed off that someone broke into their house and it's been destroyed. Um, but Like you do. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're a murderous family, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> So that's a little bit further down the line, but I have the last two issues. Like, whatever happens, I know how the last two issues go. I know, like, I've written parts of both the last two issues because there's lines of dialogue that I was like, that's good. I need to keep that. Um, mm-hmm. I know, like, in my head how the last two issues are going to go. And um, I don't know. My goal with the last two issues are to make people cry. Oh no! Like, I know that's gonna sound like fucked up, but like <laughs> it is like my goal with those two issues to get people to cry, especially the second to last one. Um, okay. I think you know if 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 you read in the book, I'm sure you can guess what's gonna happen. But <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know um, we're gonna get. You're trying to go saga on us now, aren't so, you? <laughs> oh man, that last week of saga this week, man. Fuck that guy. Uh, God, I know. That was so upsetting. Everyone was talking about the first page, and then I was like, whatever the first page. Let's talk about the last page. I didn't even think, like, the first page, like, this is what Saga has done to me now. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't even think about, like, you know, robot lady vaginas or uh, the sacks of a a cyclops or whatever. But when they say, like, uh, yeah, Miguel, I don't know if you you read Saga at all. Not particularly, but it's sounding like like I should. You should, should, but I'm going to spoil something for you right now, anyway, because I want to talk to you. That happens. Yeah, <laughs> but when she that it's the painting, it's the the portrait of the family hugging, and they're like, "This is the story of how my parents broke up." You're like, "What?" Yeah, it's not cool. What? Oh, it just it like hits you where you live. Yeah, yeah. I was because uh, I read that Wednesday, Thursday. Yes, yeah, so I read that yesterday, and I was just like, "What?" But yeah, that's what that's the kind of stuff I love. That's why I love. Brian K. Vaughn so much. Like, Brian K. Vaughn, uh, him and Bendis, and, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I always think about those guys a lot, and Baker to a certain extent, are guys that I just, like, rip off repeatedly. And uh, <laughs> that's a moment where I'm like, I love stuff like that. And it's something that Bendis talks about when I was in Bendis. I, I went to Bendis' uh, class slash program for writing comics a lifetime ago now, it seems like. And uh, one of the things he talked about was his favorite kind of comic is when one person is, like, when the dialogue is saying something, and it 
is a juxtaposition of what the image is, right? Like, it's just some kind of way of, like, manipulating both those things to mess with you. And that's a perfect example of that, because if you see the image first, you're like, oh, it's a happy family. But then if you read the dialogue second, you're like, what? And Yeah, so that's my goal with, with, with the last two issues, is, like, to get people to just be like, ugh, ugh. I feel it's gut-wrenching for me when I think about it. Mm-hmm. And when I took all my, when I busted out my notebook and started writing the 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 last two issues, like the scenes and stuff, and breaking down how it was gonna be, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be be interesting. I find it I find it really interesting that a lot of writers, especially um, uh, you know, that we've been talking to lately, like just when you when we ask you about certain books that you're writing, you've already got those like final scenes planned. Like they could be so far off in the future, but they're already in your head. Like you know, you, you pretty much understand the story you're telling. It's just almost like the journey to get there might be a little different, but the end result still might be the same. Um. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> how it is with with Ghosted because it's like I know. I've plotted out so much of it that it's, like, I know the ups and downs of it, and it's, like, I know... <sighs> like, I mean, the journey's still going to be important, but, yeah, that, that... Some of that stuff, it can't change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, like, that's the... That's the way... That's where the where the book's been heading from the beginning. I mean, maybe if the book was going on for a really long time, I could see parts of it changing, but even then, it's, like, no, that's the stuff that needs to happen. That's, that's the... You know, for the most part, that's what needs to go down for this to really... Uh, to be what I want to be. Um, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why Marcus uh, came back. Like, I was really excited to bring Marcus back. That was something I had planned from the moment I was, like, finished writing issue five, and I was, like, or I was doing some fixes to issue five before I started on six through ten. Because I wrote five. Uh, like, like, Ghost of Number One, I finished on Halloween of 2011. Like, I wrote <laughs> it so long ago. And then, so one through five were written mostly in 2012. Mm-hmm. And so remember like issue one didn't come out in 2000, until 2013. Yeah. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So when I went, uh, I went to Skybound, we were talking about what to do with six through 10. Like I had been like six months, seven, seven, eight months. Since I had written an issue of ghosted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we sat there. I remember sitting there at Skybound talking with everybody, talking with Kirkman, uh, my manager and the editor and like figuring out what we were going to do. And then leaving them and walking to my friend's house who lives nearby them and, like, plotting issue six, like, all of issue six while I was walking, parts of the other issues, and then being, like, and then the last page of issue ten is that Marcus is still alive. Oh, my God. You know? And going back and then double-checking five, because parts of five have been drawn already, but going back mm-hmm. and double-checking five and be like, oh, you never actually see him die. Like, he even says, I'm immortal, and she's like, well, that doesn't mean you can't be haunted, and all the ghosts attack him. <sighs> But you never yeah. see what happens after that. You just see Jackson standing outside the house and you hear Marcus screaming. Mm-hmm. You never actually see him die. So It's like that old trick of if you don't see them die, then it doesn't mean that they can't come back kind of yeah. thing. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Classic, you know, bait and switch. Except for Trick. Trick's dead. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Trick's the only, uh, I think his because his death is not supernatural. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's so obviously on screen. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he was shot right in the head from behind. So, uh, oh my god! Poor trick. Poor so poor trick. Happens, you're like, no, not trick. Yeah, my um, <laughs> my girlfriend um, she enjoys Ghosted, so 
I'm, it's funny, she actually likes my writing. Um, so I'm not allowed, <laughs> it's kind of fr- frustrating because I've had exes in the past who, who said they liked it, but like wanted to read stuff and I could talk to them about it. Um, mm-hmm. whereas my girlfriend, she is like, no, I don't want to hear any of it. Uh-huh. Like I was back in, um, a few months ago, we were walking to a grocery store and I accidentally said, well, then Jackson gets arrested <laughs> and she just stopped and was like, what the fuck? Like, I literally, I was like, oh, I realized, like, it's weird because it's my writing. It's not like I'm, I didn't just spoil Game of Thrones, but it was, like, that kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I didn't tell her anything else, so she doesn't know anything, she doesn't know anything else. She doesn't know anything about the book at all. Like, she, she so she reads it, like, when everyone else does. Uh, and I gave her a sheet 10 to read, uh, last week. And she's reading the comic in bed, and I walked in the room right when she turned the page to Trick Dying, and I heard her, like, no! Oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah! Yes, yes. It's the reaction I wanted. It's been accomplished. Um, <laughs> and she's like, "You bastard! I hate you." Yeah, yeah. I, I actually messed something else up. I don't know. What, oh, it's Captain Midnight though. Like Captain Midnight's such a funny one because I feel like that. There's so many issues of that, and I'm writing it so far ahead. Like I'm writing issue 18 right now, and 10 just came out. <sighs> so yeah, M- Miguel is our, our resident uh, uh, Captain Midnight reviewer. Oh, are you really? Oh, okay, yeah. well that's the thing with her. I with with. Uh, I won't, I won't spoil it for you then. So when I was, yeah, um, <laughs> her and I were walking in the grocery store again, actually. Was that when we were doing something? And I mentioned what was going on in Captain Midnight, and she was like, what the hell? And I'm like, you ever read any of it yet? Because I, I have, like, one trade here. And I was kind of waiting until I had, like, up to issue 11, because I think 1 through 11 is one, it's like, it's year one. It's one block of information. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have year, year two will be uh, 12 through 19, which is a weird thing to say but that's like one big arc and then mm-hmm. 20 and then 20 into blah 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 I can't talk about goes the other stuff <laughs> um but yeah I'm writing issue t- 18 right now and so she uh I, I made a mistake I said something I'm like well this character is gonna do this is gonna happen to this character and she was like what the fuck <laughs> you do a lot of revealing in grocery stores that's interesting actually it wasn't in a grocery store we were, we, we were taking my dog for a walk on a trail nearby our house that's what was happening that's what I just remembered that was a weird a moment. <laughs> like walking around, like, oh, by the way, this happens. And she's like, I what? Well, <laughs> like, she doesn't know anything. She was just she doesn't know anything about Captain Midnight, so she was just mad that I was telling her something. You know what I mean? Because she's never read any of it. So, Miguel, how far are you? Did you read issue ten? Yes, I did. So, with that, were you surprised about the death in issue ten of that book? <laughs> I mean, yeah, jeez. There's so much. I don't know. I really, yeah. I guess you could say I was, and maybe like half, I'd say half teared up. It was. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Were so, you surprised? I mean, were you surprised that it was that it was Rick under the costume? You know, I wasn't. And like, I think. Well, like when you like, figure the it out, page, like just like right before it happened, I was like, wait a minute. And then yeah. it still, it was still as sad. So that's why, like, the almost tearing up because I was figuring it out as I was like, but no. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we, um, those are the issues 9 through 11 are the issues that I felt like I was the most, um, hands-off from Dark Horse. And 9, I was really late on 9 and 10. Like, really late. Um, <laughs> uh, because they weren't working. Like, they just, it just wasn't working. And so 9, 
I remember finishing nine and being really happy with it. And, and we had talked about, you know, Helios killing Fury, like, for a long time. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers. Um, so I knew that Helios was going to do that. And also I love, I love writing Helios, and I knew what he was going to do. And then so with ten, I was really late with ten. Because it wasn't, I don't know what was going on with it. It wasn't coming together. And then I had this moment of, like, I remember standing in my living room, like, pacing. And then just having this thing of, like, oh, it's Rick in the costume. Like, Rick, they do, like, a fake-out. And being like, oh, I can't make that happen. I don't have a room. And then looking at the issue, looking at what's going on, and being like, I have to, like, scrap everything I was going to do with this issue. And start over. And we knew we knew that Rick was gonna we knew Rick was gonna die. Rick was Rick's death was planned from the beginning. And so and poor guy. That's why <laughs> here's the thing though, that's why issue ten is the only issue he's on the cover. Oh subtle clues. Yeah, it's like in Buffy when have you guys oh man. You guys have watched uh, Buffy, right? I've watched all of Buffy and Angel and We Night. <laughs> I'm not gonna say what it is with my girlfriend in case she listens to this because she has uh <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say this: there's a character who dies in season six of Buffy, and it was mm. the only the only episode that that character's that actress I'll say actress whatever um, yeah it's the only time that she was ever in the opening credits is the episode she died. Oh yeah yeah so that's why Brick is on the cover because uh, yeah, we were like Rick. oh yeah he's I you know he was a good character I, I like writing him and they're dude they're his death is going to mess everybody up for a while. <laughs> um, and then issue... I'll just tell you this. One of my favorite scenes I've gotten to write in that book is in issue 17, where Agent Jones, Charlotte, and Captain Midnight get in an argument about his death. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever, I've ever done. Like, they're arguing... Can I tell you this one thing? Is this cool, Miguel? Can I tell you one yeah. thing? Yeah, I'm down. So they're, so they're arguing... <laughs> <laughs> They're arguing about Rick's death, and, it, and Charlotte's getting, like, really angry. And she's yelling at Captain Midnight, and, she, you know, she's, like, she's yelling at Captain Midnight about something else. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes about Rick. And then she says, like, he was my, you know, like, I think it was, like, oh, okay, so Captain Midnight is, like, well, you know, he's my friend, too. And then she's, like, he was my husband. And then Agent Jones, who's, like, off in the corner with his arms crossed, just goes ex-husband. Wow. And then she just walks over, she's like, I'm gonna smack the glasses right off your face. That's one of my favorite things I've ever written with those characters. Nice. It's just, it's like two pages of arguing about what's been going on in the book, but since issue 10, and then it becomes about Rick's death, because of course that they've all been dealing with it since then, and they haven't. Uh, you'll see. You'll see when you yeah. read 11 and, and 12 oh, yeah. on, but... Um, yeah, I love that part. I remember I was talking, I had lunch with the editors on it, and they were like, yeah, that part was brutal. Because it's just one of those, it's like a one-panel thing where he's just him in the corner, and he's like, ex-husband. Uh, uh, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, what What is that, uh, so you, you do Captain Midnight for Dark yeah. Horse, and then you're doing um, Ghosted and Nailbiter for Image. Like, are, yeah. is, are the working relationships different um, with the two companies, or, or um, relative? Well, I mean... Well, I can tell you my whole my whole announced workload, I guess I should say, is like, you know, yes, yeah, so I have Captain Midnight with Dark Horse, but I also do Predator with Dark Horse, but that hasn't um, that's been announced, but it doesn't come out until October. Uh, yes. And then I do Ghosted is with Skybound, Nailbiter is with Image Central, 
Okay. Um, and then I'm doing Robocop with Boom, too, but that's a whole other thing. Um, nah. <laughs> just teasing. There's other books that are coming out next year, too. But mm-hmm. So, it's interesting, because, like, with with Image Central and Nailbiter, like, I really am kind of on my, lo- my own. It's like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. And... And they do a lot. Like, the team at Image is great. Like, they really do a lot of stuff, like, marketing and Diamond and, and putting the books together. But when it comes to, like, actually making the book, it's really just me and Mike Henderson. And then we have our colorist. We have our letter. We hired uh, Rob Levin to be a um, our editor on the book, and he helps me out a lot. But it's really just me. Um, yeah. Like, issue six of Nailbiter, Mike and I plotted and drew all the layouts for on a, uh airplane. Like we, we were stuck on it. We were on this airplane, so we just started like talking about it. And he goes out his notebook and he'd lay out the entire issue while we were talking about it. I was like, I was literally like reading it. I was like telling him the script, even though I hadn't written it yet. I was like, mm-hmm. page turn, big panel, small panel, blah blah blah. Like, and he was like, well, we did this, we did this. Uh, with Skybound, uh, I get notes from Kirkman rarely, but we do talk about stuff. But it's more big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I talk a lot with. Um, my the editor there, Sean Makowitz, and the assistant editor there, and we sort of just how oh, it's interesting with that one. It's with them, they're a little more concerned with with, with ghosts in particular, with things being consistent. They're making sure that I don't um, stray too far away from the the themes of the book we've established. Like mm-hmm. I was just got a note today, and they were talking about how the book should be like seventy percent horror, crime, and then 30% humor, and if we go over that 30% of humor, they worry there's too much, like, slapstick or too much, too much of the same gags over and over. Mm-hmm. And I fought for some stuff, like, I fought for jokes that Jackson has said. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jackson makes that joke about uh, ghosts watching him masturbate in issue eight. Like, I had to, I had to fight for that one. That was one where I was like, that is something Jackson would say, leave it alone. Um, <laughs> it's like, back off. <laughs> so, wait, anything Jackson says, I, I will fight for. Other stuff, I'm a little like, okay, well, let's see what we gotta do. So think for, is is Jackson more like the voice that you speak through? I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Jackson, I like issue eight was one of the easiest comics I've ever had to write because I got this note from them about torture. They didn't want me to have like torture in the book. Mm-hmm. And I was walking and I, I finished, I actually finished issue seven and then was walking uh, to get dinner. And then I started hearing Jackson talk about being tortured in my head. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started, like, when I got back from dinner, I started writing issue eight and was finished with, like, by the next day. There was other proofing we had to do and noting, but, like, for the most part, it was done, like, the next day. Uh, because once I hear Jackson, that's what it is. Like, once I hear him talking and once I can, like, get him going, then we're good after that. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing with issue 12, because Jackson is in a stark place, he's, like, kind of emo and melodramatic about everything. <laughs> So that was their that was like their big note was like oh Jackson's so melodramatic he looks so melodramatic in this issue and I'm like well he's going through a hard time like what wouldn't you I mean your friends killed and had ghosts and everything come on yeah exactly so um you know like we were talking about issue thirteen today some changes that I have to make issue thirteen and and they're all like minor but it's all just sort of like when when I it, I'm in a good place with those because when I read those I'm always like oh yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Um, and they just double-check things, because they kind of act as, like, the initial audience, you know, because they're reading it, and they're like, well, this part bugs me. Like, I don't think it makes sense. Like, I have an immediate, like, logic question. And it's like, all right, cool, let's take care of it. 
Uh, with Dark Horse, it's different because you have so much more. There's so many more people. With Captain Midnight, because Captain Midnight is part of the Black Sky stuff, um, there's a huge world there. You know, it's it's there's so many other books, so many other editors. There are creations that have like other other creators working on them. You know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes there are people in the office. Like some of those characters were created by people who work in the office still, and so they have a hand in things. Like Blackout was created by Chris Warner. Um, it's like those people are still have to be involved. Um, and then there goes Mike Richardson, who has this big master plan. And so I'm constantly having to make sure that I'm, I'm still following within the guidelines. Um, and they're not strict or anything. It's just but it is different. And it is mm-hmm. a lot of double checking. But then there are also the fun parts of that, because I do like including the references from the other books. Um, yeah. But it is, does, it is different. Like, it's such a... Uh, how it's weird. And because it is corporate comics at the same time, <laughs> you know, I don't have a say in everything. With Nailbiter, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the files the printer is given. Like, I'm, I have access to the printer's website and is looking at those. You know, oh. uh, with Ghosted, I mean, I'm I am. Uh, there are times where the uh, I with the with one book I'm working on that it's way too early to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Me and the artist go back and forth all the time, but the editor never really. He'll try it occasionally, but most mostly it's me and, and him going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not the case with uh, with Dark Horse. You know, like, there's definitely middlemen, but they're there for a reason, you know? Yeah. Um, they're definitely gatekeepers for things that are going on. And is it is it easy for you to get uh, go back and forth in those mindsets? Because you're, you're much more, I mean, are you more comfortable in the horror genre? Or do you like the, you know, the, um, I guess the escape into the pulpy uh, side of Captain Midnight right now? Like, uh, how do you, like, go between the two? Well... Ghosted is easily the easiest, well, that sounds silly when I say right now, it's easily the easiest <laughs> thing to write. Ghosted, ghosted, for the most part, it's kind of like how Mask of Monsters was. Like, once I figure out the gimmick of that issue, once I figure out the theme or the, the thing that I want to do with it, it flows pretty easily. Um, same thing with Captain Midnight, though. I don't know, I was saying with this today a little bit about all those books. I treat them all the same. Even though I don't own Captain Midnight, even though I don't own... Well, Predator and Robocop are a little different, I feel like, because those are... Predator and Robocop have, like, massive known identities. Yeah. Like, that is part of a mythology that's been around for a long time, and is very, very strict. Whereas... Local fan base, too. Yeah. Because the Midnight is a little different. Because Midnight, you know, has been around for 70 years, but or, you know, 75 years, but isn't is known, and that... That world, we were able to start a little bit more from the ground up and pick and choose and cherry pick what we wanted to do and and play with it. Now, because so with those two books, Predator and Robocop, those are different. Like those are very strict on what I can and can't do. Those are very much a certain way of things. Uh, with Predator, because it's part of the writers' room with Kelly Sue and Chris Roberson and Chris Bell and Paul Tobin and Scott Scott Alley, like that's a different writing thing as well because it's not by committee, but it's very much like a group people are feeding into each other, so it's a different kind of writing. It's also a little more intimidating at times. Whereas in Captain Midnight, is interesting for me, because I don't own Captain Midnight, but I still feel like he's one of my children. Like, oh, yeah. like he's been adopted by me, is how I kind of look at it sometimes. And it, somebody <laughs> asked me once at a panel, they were like, you know, with a book like that, um, like, what's it like knowing that you're going to, like, leave that book someday and somebody else would write it? And I was like, ugh, you know, with Pred- somebody else is going to write Predator. Somebody else is going to write um, RoboCop. 
But Captain Midnight, the moment somebody else would, and even now, like Fred Van Lente or or uh, does it in like the Free Comic Day, or when Josh Falcon wrote him in uh, Skyman. Like mm-hmm. anytime he's in somebody else's book, it it really is like watching like the ex girlfriend that you were in love with with somebody else. You know, it's like <laughs> it's it's that that thing is challenging, and so there's this part of me that is like, oh man, that it'll be just as hard. You know, when that book ends. Um, it'll be just as challenging to walk a walk away from any of them, and it's different in a way because those other books I own, and I can kind of always come back to them, and I can always kind of do my thing. With that, when it's my turn to pass the baton over, like I'm gonna be that guy that's gonna be like, you know, in a movie or something like that, when someone's hand the car keys over and they don't want to let go, like mm-hmm. that's gonna be me. Like I'm gonna be like, Ugh, all right, whatever, whatever. I can't look. I can't look. Like. Go, don't, don't, just leave, leave. Yeah, I'm going to be like, just walk out the door and turn away. <laughs> like, My version of that is just burning the building down and just being like, <laughs> no one can have it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. But I, my my uh, go-to is always kill it with fire, so, I mean, yeah. works with zombies, I suppose. <laughs> it works with everything. It does. Shoot it in the head. Um, yeah. Double tap. So Captain Midnight's a little difficult sometimes with that because it's like there are moments, and I, I think that's when my editors and I and Dark Horse sometimes get into arguments about stuff. It's mm. it comes from that. It comes from that position where where I don't treat it like a job. I think people go to other other publishers, and they will do books just as a job. They treat it just a job. They just go in there, they write that book, they turn it in, and they don't. I don't say they don't care, but they don't care the same amount as they do their creator own stuff. You want to you wanna believe that there's a certain amount of passion that goes into it? Yeah, yeah. But I know I know it isn't like that. I know there I know there are books at other big big publishers. The writers just don't care. Like, they, they are just doing a job. They're turning the book in. They're, they're walking away because they have their other things that are more important. And I'm like, I've heard them say these things. And I can't do that with Captain Midnight. Like, mm-hmm. I care too much. And I have this idea of that book. And it... Uh, it causes me sometimes, I think it makes me difficult to work with with that book sometimes. Because <laughs> um, I get very, like, you know, someone will tell me something and I'm like, it's it's hard because I don't, I didn't create that character, I don't own that character, but I know him so well that there are times where we have these conversations, we have, like, group meetings about stuff, and I'm like, ah, he wouldn't do that. Like, he just wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know? Um, You've taken a certain amount of ownership over him now. Yeah. Um, because you have, in in your own way, built him back up again. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're kind of you should be that go-to guy. But at the same time, what like you're talking about, it's more of a it's there's a lot of group effort involved, yeah. and you're not the master of this character. You know, you have to share him essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I still I put the same amount of effort in. Like I mean, that's a thing with a lot of the books I work on. Uh, I put the same amount of time and effort into them. Like I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to not do that, you know. Like mm-hmm. I still think about, it. I still want to be good, you know. I want to have fun with it. I want it to be me. So that's the thing with that Captain Midnight. Like you were saying, switching gears with with those books in particular, like RoboCop and Predator are a little different because of the the licensing involved and sort of the, the like I said, the writers' room and then with the licensors, it's a little different. Uh, and you're almost in some ways with with RoboCop. Like my mission is with RoboCop is mostly just to mimic the movie. Like I still try to put yeah. me in there, but mimic the movie with. Yeah, Cats Midnight and Nailbiter and Ghosted. I still treat all those books the same. There's now there's another book. There's another book that hasn't been announced yet. 
that is like the hardest thing I've ever had to write in my life, and that book is a different. So that's the only one that I feel like I treat a little differently, just because uh, it's a more lofty goals, I suppose. Is it a different genre than you're used to working with? Yeah, okay. it's still grounded. I still feel feel like it's grounded, and it's funny is that people will uh, like somebody asked me this. I think Comics Alliance asked me if I felt like I was going to get typecast for horror and crime, and I was like, well, on one side, like, is that so bad? You know, it's like. Yeah. Like, I enjoy those things. I really like writing them. So if that's all I was going to write for the rest of my life, that's fine. Um, but then you look at Cats of Midnight, Cats of Midnight, it's obviously not those things. But this other book, um, I don't know, it's... it's the, the argument is, is it horror? I guess I'll argue at times. Because I feel like, even though it's not a horror book, it opens mm-hmm. with something I think is one of the scariest things that can ever happen to a human being. Okay. Even though it's not a horror book. Good to know. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, it's it's, it's one of the most... Because it's also a very grounded book. It, in my in my opinion, it is one of the most horrible things that can ever happen to someone. And so, uh, it could be argued, you know, is it a horror book or not? Well, there, I I think that you know, especially, uh, it, I mean, it's kind of like with the music scene too. Like genres tend to you know meld and blend with yeah. each other. What I mean, horror can encompass so much in like fantasy, science fiction, westerns. I mean, they're all just like sponges. You know, if you make it work, you make it work. It doesn't have to necessarily be a a horror comic. Just like something bad happens and that's that's it, you know. Yeah. And that catalyst goes into whatever else that genre is going to be or that thing's going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I totally get it. I'll understand. Like when that book that you can't talk about right now comes out, I'll get it. I'll understand. Yeah. (laughs) It'll it'll be like that thing that I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, I'll be writing down like, well, when Joshua Williamson talked to us about it on the podcast, which you should totally listen to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everyone should listen. Uh, but I, yeah, I write all the same. Like I do the same pattern. Like I write in notebooks a lot. Like I write, I do like when I'm, I'm starting a new issue up, I'll usually do a paragraph online and, and, and talk with my editor, whoever it is, what that, that paragraph's going to be. And then I bust up my notebook and I literally just write one through 22 or one through 20 on the you know on the notebook and I start breaking down what I think is going to happen on the pages and there's notes and then it becomes like a, a mess and then it's like it bleeds over to the page before it the page after that uh but that, that one through 22 always kind of stays the same but there's always like arrows pointing back to stuff and stuff oh I write the same out. way <laughs> I do the same thing in notebooks yeah <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of I think when when I think when Captain Midnight 15 comes out. One of the one of the issues that's going to come out soon, I'm going to or next year, I'm going to take a um a picture of my notebook cuz I noticed it was one of the cleaner ones recently. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm going to take a picture of my notebook and then post that up and be like, this is how I work. This is this is pretty much what goes on in my head before I start the computer. I mean, and I noticed it, mo- it moves so much smoother when I do that. So I feel like God has get anything done. <laughs> Yeah, uh, things have been, I mean, I was talking to somebody about this, it was one of my editors, I was. I messed up on something, he asked me about something last night, uh, oh, my editor on Nailbiter, he was like, oh, he needed, like, an issue recap to go in the inside front cover, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I forgot, like, sorry, I'll do it, and he's like, we're well, writing four books, or five, he said five books, and I was like, well, technically it's seven, but <laughs> <laughs> let's just keep that between us. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and speaking of nail biters, since yeah. the first issue is out and the second won't be out until next month. Yes. Um, 
so I I I loved the first issue of Nailbiter. It was really awesome. I uh, obviously I reviewed it for yeah. the the website. I've, you've got number two as well, though. I forget that. I do have number two, but I'm I'm sitting on it because um, they gave it to us fairly early, and I didn't. I mean, I talked to you about it too. I mean, we just I yeah, I, I feel yeah. yeah, it's just better. I think in terms of what you want that I would you wait both, for. Yeah. Did you read both though? I did. Oh, I, re- okay. I read both. Of them. All right. Well, we won't talk um, about two because two has. Yeah. Let's talk about one. Yeah. Let's talk about one. Because uh, we both uh, we both talked about how we're, we are both nail biters. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty bad. Miguel, at it. are you are you a nail biter or a uh, thumb sucker? I cut them. I cut them fairly irregularly, but now I don't bite. Okay. So yeah, the reading nail biters is kind of like this is everything that my parents probably would have tried to warn me about, just made real on page. Yeah. I didn't realize so many people had uh, like fingernail trauma nightmares until that cover came out. It's a, I mean, because I I know that for a fact, like w- with my nail biting, I don't even realize I'm doing it. Sometimes, like I'll just be reading something, and then suddenly you just look down, and you're like, oh, those are my fingers. Okay, hi. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know it's a nervous habit and everything, but the the fact that you're create crafting this, first of all, taking the notion that the Pacific Northwest is pretty much occupied by serial killers. <laughs> I, I kind of like that you're you're taking that angle because it is kind of what a lot of people think of this area that we live mm-hmm. in. Um, and then just kind of turning it into this just like playground of, of people with their various um, proclivities for what they choose to kill people by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, that's the thing with uh, with this area. I mean, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but when I a few years ago, I was living in a small town outside of Portland that was like not that many miles away from Portland, but because it was a one road sort of situation, like you you were on one road for miles, it felt mm-hmm. like it, it was basically an hour to drive into the city, and uh, I was like stranded out there, and so I would ride my bike around town and just sort of. Um, you know, take things in and kind of plot in my head while I was on my bike around. And I kept being like, God, this place is so creepy, you know? And, like, it made me think it was so weird that you would have this, like, seclu- I mean, because Portland is Portland, and Portland is such a... Like, people watch Portlandia, they have this idea of what Portland is, and they think, all oh, Oregon is like that. But really, you get, like, a half hour outside of Portland, and it's nothing like that. And yeah. so I was an hour outside of Portland, and I was on this, like, town that there was only two roads into. And... It... it felt like I was in a different, a different state completely. I mean, I, it was so different. And the economy there had collapsed um, in the 80s. So it created this very interesting sort of situation to live in this town and then ride around and see all these abandoned houses and abandoned buildings. And it uh, made me think a lot about serial killers and a lot of like stuff like that, you know? I mean, I'm sure you've done that before. You've been on a road trip before and you're like, that is a house in the middle of that field. Who the fuck lives there? Um, yeah. <laughs> so you start having those moments of, of that I have feeling. And then, you know, I guess before I was from, um, I'm from Riverside, California. It's a small little city, I guess, town in, in California. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, uh, different serial killers were there at the same time. And like, I always hear these stories from people. And it's, it's weird how you, you start having these conversations with people about serial killers. And you realize everyone has some kind of connection. Even they're not even aware of it. Like, you might go talk to someone and be like, oh, yeah, there was still a killer behind us. They lived on the street from us. Or 
like it's interesting and i kept hearing this stuff when i was a kid and as an adult about where i grew up and that's where i started to form from that from like you know inland empire of california having all these like serial killers there at the same time in the 80s and yeah and then you know there was the woman who uh or the sorry the serial killer who would strangle women in san diego in 2005 and and when I was living there, and like the, I think I told I told this story before. I told an Image Expo where the girl who, uh, when I was the art director, there was a woman that worked there, and she broke up with her boyfriend. And she came in, you know, we were talking about him, like what happened, why did you break up? And it was because she had found out that his uh, uncle was that serial killer who had strangled those women. Oh my god! And, she, and I was like, well, did the boyfriend know? Like, what happened? And she was like, no, no. And I'm like, well, why'd you break up with them? She's like, oh, I can't be in a relationship with somebody who's that close to someone so evil, you know. Um, and I think once that like that true kernel of doubt is placed in someone's mind, it will always haunt you. It'll always pick at you. Um, mm-hmm. And I started thinking about that a lot. And that plus, you know, I remember being on an airplane and thinking about this stuff and just like thinking about the Pacific Northwest, all the weird sort of creepiness to it, and sort of, like, how much there is spaces of nothing here. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> and those weird secluded areas of, like, pockets of another, I would say another world, but it is strange, you know? So that all kind of added up to that book. Yeah, it, it is It is weird when you start thinking about, like, how, how other people perceive of, of this area, but then at the same time how we look at it, too, because my... Um, my dad uh, lives in an area called Maple Valley, Washington, mm-hmm. and he used to live by the, the river that ran through there. And uh, that whole area, just if you if you walk out a certain amount, it's just all forest. Yeah. I mean, in that, like when you're a young kid or whatever, you I mean, your imagination can just run wild. And there's like old wells and these houses that are very dilapidated that haven't been fixed up at all. And, and yeah. then it's just like. Yeah, I'm not going to be walking around this path for any, you know, significant amount of time. <laughs> yeah, when I first moved here, we, uh, my buddy and I, we drove and we were, uh, we took the long way. We wanted to take, like, the scenic route, and that was not exactly the best decision. And there was a couple times where we were, like, running low on gas, and we would pull up these gas stations where there would be, it's an abandoned gas station. And it looks like from a horror movie. Uh, the, we finally found this gas station, or we, we thought we were gonna, we thought we were gonna strand it. We thought we were gonna run out of gas, and we finally found this gas station. And the attendant comes out, and he's wearing uh, military fatigues, okay. and one of those like, like I don't know what they're called, but the hats that are like flat for hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he comes out wearing that thing with fatigues, and he had like a little bit of like makeup on his on like like camouflage on on his eyes and his cheeks. Not full mm-hmm. face, not full face, but like enough. And we were like, "What the fuck?" And we were in Oregon. We weren't, you know, allowed to pump gas here, so he was pumping our gas for us. And I remember, um, I don't know what I did. I think I ran to go to the bathroom or something. And then I came back, and Vinny was like, "We gotta go." But so my friend Vinny was the one I drove with. And we get in the car, and we drive away. And I remember saying to the guy, the guy before we drove away, I was like, um, you know, like how, like, hey, how you doing? And the guy turns, looks at me, and he goes. Just another day in paradise. <laughs> and I remember, yeah. like, we gotta go. It's like, get in the car, get in the car, go, go, yeah. go. That, that trip was really fun. There's actually a, an even scarier thing that happened on that trip, but I can't tell you because it's a visual thing. It's like oh. something that I have to, like, do in person. So next to me, see me at a con, remind me to tell you about the children in the corn on the way to Oregon, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you all about that. 
Just even the title of that story. Yeah, like, if me and my friend, we both will be like, if we're both there, we'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can totally tell you about what happened. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's that. I, I've had all kinds of weird stuff like that. That's where all this, like, horror stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. It's funny, because I'll talk to people who are, like, big-time horror fans, and all their stuff is, like, they pull a lot of their ideas from horror movies, and I'm always like, eh, real life. Yeah. Oh, my stuff's from real life. A lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's from uh, documentaries about things that are horrible, but mostly it's from real life stuff I've seen. You know, <laughs> so it's like that's where most of my horror stuff comes from, or things I've thought like, about. I think I remember sending you uh, the article about the uh, Winchester Mansion being uh, opened up for like sleepovers or something like that. Yes, there's a whole weird thing about that though. It's interesting, but um, yeah, I, I thought about that. I thought about going to the Winchester Mansion and doing that, but it's really like limited, and you can't really stay in the house. You're staying in like this other thing. It's oh. very strange. It's like, it's like almost like a scam. Not a scam. Scam's not fair to say, but it is not exactly what you're thinking. It's not like I get to stay there. It's a whole weird thing. Yeah. Uh, but you're not allowed to have alcohol there. I think it's part of it. What? Yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. So you're like, well, what am I doing exactly? Uh, I, there was a story of uh, many, many years ago I read about this family that got to spend the night in the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. And they're the only people that have ever got to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, they stayed in the uh, the elevator, basically. The lowering room. Oh, my God. They stayed in Word. that. And um, that's where they slept. They slept like in cots and like bunks in there. While other stuff was going on in the mansion, like, people were still trying to, like, spook them. What was happening at it's... <laughs> like, that's, that's amazing to me. Um, but back to Nailbiter. Yes, Nailbiter. It is funny <laughs> that I, uh, I turn all these weird little things. But that's what it is, though. I, I uh... So my girlfriend works uh, in the parole department. Mm-hmm. And so she deals with a lot of criminals all day long. And she sees a lot of, like, horrible people. And uh, she has to take the Max into downtown, and then she walks to work from the Max. Um, okay. Which, you know, the Max is like our subway thing. Yeah. And so uh, we were talking about it one day when I was, was, like, really early on. And I was like, so I need to come up with 16 serial killers. <laughs> and we knew who the nail-biter was. And we knew all the important ones. Not to say they're not all important, but we knew the major players. There was a mm-hmm. few. There were, like, eight so, like, half of them are all kind of, like, more bit players. Like, they're going to be around, they'll play pieces, but they're not going to have as much speaking lines kind of thing. And I was like, well, we got to start introducing some of them. And I said, oh, so you've read issue two, so you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. And I was like, if you were a serial killer, what would you do? That's where a lot of this started. Like, I would talk to you about, like, if you were a serial killer, what would you do? What would be your thing? And so I said to her, I said, so what would be your thing? And she was like... Oh, I'm not going to tell you the other thing. There's two things she said. I'll tell you the first one. The second one we'll talk about. I mean, not put nail biter. But uh, the first thing she was like, oh, well, I would take the men who catcall women on the streets and I would cut their tongues out and sew their mouths shut. Wow. And I was like, that is going in the book. <laughs> that is Your girlfriend is awesome. Well, the other thing that we were talking about is the uh, the thing I guess they talk a lot about in the parole department is the murder van, which okay. is, like, people who are on parole that you know are, like, sex offenders, like, violent sex offenders. Mm-hmm. That one day they just get picked up by a van, and you don't know what happens after that. Oh. <laughs> and she was explaining to me, and I was like, well, I don't know what to do with that, but all right. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Well, I mean, that's all you deal with all day. Every day is just, like, these horrible people coming in. You have to interview them every single day. You get to a mm-hmm. point where you're just like, oh, Jesus, like, let's get the murder van rolling here. What do we got to do? Yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah. you're in that industry as well. I mean, like, the morbid sense of humor is going to come out anyway. It's like if you work yeah. at a hospital or, you know, uh, uh, talking to a friend of mine who uh, recovered from cancer, and, you know, he just he has these jokes about cancer that are very morbid, but at the same time, they're funny as hell. So it's just like you find your humor where you're going to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the thing with Nailbiter. A lot of those the serial killers came from me talking to somebody and asking them and then Mike and I sat down and started figuring them out and there was a few and, and thinking about MOs and thinking about ways that you would kill someone which is sort of horrible but that's kind of where it comes down to and like and that's what I put together with that book and it's for that book it, I'm glad people are picking up on the idea that we're trying to really establish a tone and sort of an atmosphere with that book more yeah, so it's very moody like I, I, yeah. I enjoy the I mean because you're taking advantage of of the Pacific Northwest and what it, what it is and in yeah. terms of like pain and the gray that follows you for miles. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was all. And it's funny cause I think there's a scene coming up in issues three and four, because the end of three and beginning of four all take place in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shiniest part of Buckaroo is the graveyard. Like, that is the place that has the most sun for some reason. Um, of course it does. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what people think of those. Um, I do love that it's called Buckaroo, Oregon. I was trying to look it up to see if it was a real place uh-huh. just on the chance. And I was like, oh, it's not. But <laughs> Yeah, when I first started talking about this book with people, because I had this idea back in, God, man, it's been so long. It's been, I mean, that book, like, had some almost with other publishers and then stuff would happen, like, it would fall apart. Uh, but I remember when I first had this idea, I would talk to people and I'd be like, oh, it's this town in, in Oregon, Buckaroo, Oregon, where 16 serial killers were all born and raised there and nobody knows why. And the first thing people would be like, holy shit, is that true? I'm like, oh, no, I'm totally fucking with you, but that's that's good, right? Like, that works. And actually, the thing about Nailfighter, so you you read number one. We can talk about what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. So originally, Warren was going to be in prison. He was not going to be free. When I was plotting it out and writing it because um, I finished Nailbiter number one back in September. Um, like we had started part of it and I actually rewrote the middle part and then Mike, Mike was already drawing when I rewrote the middle part but the ending had, did not change. Um, when I was still plotting it out like a year ago and like figuring out what's going on with the book, Warren was going to be in prison and um, Finch was going to go see him and go see him and visit him and be like, you know, and I kept thinking like, that's, that's just science of the lamps, you know, that's, that's Hannibal. That's, that's all those different things, you know, and. Which you do kind of make a little bit of a reference to. I do. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It comes up again. Issue four, there's a part that I want to get that's, that's way more meta about that whole thing. But anyway. Um, include scenes? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's, uh, um, it's Alice, Alice and Warren are talking and. Okay. She basically tells him, she's like, you are no Anthony Hopkins. Um, <laughs> but in, uh, so I was sitting there thinking about it and I I was like, well, what would be something that was different? And I remember we were talking about Dexter a lot and I remember thinking like, it'd be interesting to do a story. Like the thing about the Dexter was missing out on was the, the story of Dexter being caught, the story mm-hmm. of Dexter getting arrested and that whole thing, what happens afterwards. Um, and what's it like for somebody who gets out of prison and, and everyone knows they're a killer. Everyone knows they did this horrible thing. And how their life is completely different from after that. And deservingly so, you know. But mm-hmm. what is it like for that person? And so I came up with this idea. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who's also an editor. And I was like, well, here's what I want to do. And he was, because he and I had like some drunken conversations. 
about what wasn't working with Nailbiter, what wasn't working. And one day, I, I, kept, I kept coming back to that, and I was like, God, he's right, he's right, he's right. And then I was like, oh, Warren gets acquitted. Like, this horrible thing happens, but Warren still gets acquitted. Like, he's still free out in the world. Like, you know, something happens, blah, 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 he's free. And I'm never going to do a courtroom drama thing. Like, I know why he's free. We're going we're gonna to talk about it, but we're not going to, like, spend time too much time on it. Um, yeah. But he's out there, right? And so I was like, oh, that, that that's unrealistic. Like, so this, this was June of last year. So I'm like, oh, like, it's totally unrealistic that someone would murder somebody and then completely get away with it. <laughs> and then, like, a week after I had that thought, like, Zimmerman got acquitted. Oh, yeah. And I was like... I think I can do this now. Justification, thank you. Ugh, that was so horrible. I was so pissed off that day, and I remember, like, you know, and, and I, I, I think I become a little more aware of what's going on in the world around me. I was for a long time, I was very much like in a cave and working and not really reading the news. I was very much like turning a blind eye to a lot of stuff. And so when I started actually going out and doing a lot of research about people who have been like found guilty and then some people who have been acquitted, um, like both sides of that, how like crazy the legal system can be sometimes. Uh, and being like, yeah, I, you know what? There's totally a way that eventually in our lifetime a serial killer is going to become acquitted. Like, it's gonna happen. And so, um, that is where that came came from. And it changed the story completely. Uh, yeah. So much had changed because of it. Like, a lot. Uh, just Yeah, just even the end when he shows up. I mean, there's that the flies that are around him all the time. Yeah. Are, are, it's very interesting to me. Like, I, 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 I don't want to go into it any further because it's much more in two than it is in one. But yeah. just when he shows up at the end, that splash page, you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad people were surprised by that. And that was one of the harder things to not talk about because I think it's a, it is a selling point to mm-hmm. be, be like, here's this thing with this town. And then to be like, oh, and the worst serial kill in the world is free. Like, I didn't want to tell anybody. So when I would do interviews, when I would do anything, I just would not mention it. Uh, and there was actually people who were, would send me, like, typed interviews that had read issue one and issue two who would, like, spoil that, and I'd basically take their question out. Oh, okay. And then answer it as, as if the question wasn't there. Because uh, I didn't want to give it away. I wanted nothing to be given away until that day. And then it was, like, that morning on Wednesday, USA Today did an article where they talked about him being free, and I was like, it's the day of, fuck it. Like, <laughs> like let's just roll with it at this point. And the thing that's funny is some people read issue, I think issue one and issue two roll into each other pretty, like, pretty well. Mm-hmm. So there were some people who were doing interviews with me or articles about the book, but talking about one and two as if it was one issue. Uh, yeah. which was a weird mix of like happiness and also like uh God, I was just talking about issue one, which is why when you and I talked about it, I was like, well, do whatever you want, but yeah, if you could separate, that'd be good too. Yeah, and and I I I could I I got the sense of that too, or just like all right, I could totally understand because if it was my baby, <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't yeah. want it to get spoiled too quickly because you don't want people to just already know. I mean, there's a whole culture built around spoilers now. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know don't spoil it, don't spoil it, There and then there are people who will get spoiled and it doesn't affect them, but you want to make sure that you reach as many people as possible, which yeah. means no spoilers, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get, I don't know, I get a mix of frustrated and not frustrated. There's some things I care about, some things I don't. Um, 
I don't know. I'm pretty good about it lately, though. I've been pretty good about it. If I love something, I try to watch it that day or avoid the, like, I will specifically avoid Tumblr. Tumblr is the worst because of the gifts. Like, they will, they will post oh, that yeah. Like, I was watching, um, I started watching Teen Wolf a few months ago. And okay. I was actually, like, really enjoying it. And then somebody posted up, like, the second to last episode of this season, like, the big moment, the big thing that happens. And I'm, like, scrolling through looking at Tumblr, then all of a sudden it's like boom, like like three gifts in a row on somebody's thing that tells you exactly what happens, and I was like, what? Like that episode <laughs> aired like an hour ago. Like, How I did know, you do that? I know I'm like a season behind, but Jesus Christ, people. Yeah, that was something with How I Met Your Mom. Somebody posted up a spoiler from How I Met Your Mom five minutes after it ended on the East Coast feed. Oh wow! So it was like so it was like six thirty five or no, it was seven oh five, right? It was seven oh five, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> um, like it's not even on. I kind of feel like the rule should be one day. Like give people to the next morning, the next day, because if someone loves it, they will like figure a way of watching. It. If they're watching it at three in the morning, that's what they'll do. Like I uh, used to be really into professional wrestling. I still am to an extent, but there was a time where I was like a lunatic. Like, and I actually used to work for a professional wrestler. Like, all, life was very different. Um, <laughs> but there was, like, a WrestleMania where I, had to, where I had to do other stuff, and me and some guys got together. We were all busy. We got together at, like, 2 in the morning, and we started, we watched it because we didn't want to spoil it for us the next day. We wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. And so we just sat there and watched WrestleMania from, like, 2 to 5, 5.30 or whatever it was, um, so we could watch, you know, this this thing because we didn't want to spoil it for us the next day. Um, yeah. You know. Was, yeah. Uh, certain shows, like, uh, like, you know, Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who do, like, the the, the live tweets or whatever, and I, uh, I do participate, I participate, but I try to keep it as, like, as minimal information as possible, mm-hmm. because I understand, I, mean, I get it, you know, I understand people don't want, I mean, he, especially huge things, like, spoiled for them, just, uh, and yeah. I get, people could be like, oh, but the books and the comic books, like, no, this is a completely different uh, uh, entity right here, so just shut up. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a story, and then I probably should go. Um, so, are you guys caught up on Game of Thrones? Yes. Sure. There's I'm something ready. that happens. Yeah. There's something that happens two, three episodes ago. Three episodes ago. A big, a big thing. Like, yeah. a character dies, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> and, in case anyone's listening, I don't want to spoil it for them. So I found out about that character's death on Christmas Day this year. I was at my girlfriend's house with her mom and aunt, and we're all eating, you know, Christmas breakfast. And her mom says, I don't know, we were talking about something with Game of Thrones, something with spoilers. We actually were talking about spoilers. And her mom says, well, this one character dies like this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? What? And I looked at my girlfriend, and she's like, ah, Mom, you know, and I was like, Christmas is over. <laughs> I am done here. Ruined. But I Ruined. was really, yeah, I was really upset about it. I was really bummed out about, about that but moment. But you're a kid, you can. You're like, Santa doesn't exist. Yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, I wish I could have done that if I was a kid there. I, I think I did say it there, actually. I was like, well, Santa's not real. It's <laughs> um, like the only ammunition you have. Yeah, it was the only I had the moment, but... Uh, yeah, with Nailbiter, you know, I try to keep things, I try to keep things relatively, like, you know, I, I help put on sprawl things for people, and there was somebody who freaking took a picture of the last page of Nailbiter and posted it on Twitter, 
but like tweeted at me and they were like, love the book. And that's all it was. It was a picture of the last page. And I was like, what are you doing? Clearly you don't love the book because you just <laughs> spoiled the ending. Well, one thing that happened, uh, so, you know, Mike Henderson and I actually did not, had, had never met before. Uh, we worked on Masked Mobsters. We worked on uh, Initials One Shot. And now we've been doing Nailbiter for, you know, a while now. For us, we've been working on it since, like, August of last year. I mean, really working on it since October, but, like, talking about it since, you know, yeah, like, August of last year. Um, we had uh, never met until the day Nailbiter number one came out. We met at an airport before we went to signing. Wow. So it's such a weird, such a weird thing. We actually got along really well. It was was great. It was like the best uh, situation because we both were like joking. Like this is, there was a moment we we had a park somewhere, and I was like, man, I'm glad that you and I get along because <laughs> this would <laughs> this would suck. Because somehow we started talking about religion and politics, which is like the worst thing you're supposed to talk about with somebody you just met. Mm-hmm. But we were on the same page as everything. I'm like, that went really well because it would suck if we both did not agree on that stuff. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, so the Sunday before. Sunday before Nailbiter number one came out. Um, so Mike Henderson has an art dealer. And he'd given the art dealer all the pages already. They already scanned them in, and they already made the website to post them. But they weren't going to post them for sale. So people could buy the page of Nailbiter number one until after Nailbiter number one had come out and been out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy had loaded it, and he was going to go to a convention. So he was going to basically it was set on a timer, so it would go off at a certain time. Well, he had <laughs> the timer wrong. Oh no! So it went up on Sunday, even with a tweet and Facebook, everything. Like here's now, here's all the art for now by number one. He basically posted <laughs> the entire issue for free oh, man. Oh, on his my. website. Uh, I happened to get like a, a, a notification saying, you know, like this happened. Within mm-hmm. 15 minutes, it was taken down. Oh, that's good. But there was like Mike and I were joking around about it. We both were like, that was the fastest like, most intense 15 minutes you've had in a while. Because, yes, like, for 15 minutes, it was out there. Anyone could have the entire issue for free, like, on a website, just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sunday before it comes out, like, we were, like, freaking out. It was such an intense moment. And Mike, and we were texting each other, and he, it happened to him while he was in the middle of watching Mad Men. No. <laughs> like, I was, I think I was just winding down for the night. I was going to read a book, and I think I was, like, eating ice cream, you know? And, and, and uh, so I was fine. I was like, I'm just going to eat ice cream now. For him, he was like, nothing that happens on Mad Men is going to matter now. Like, I'm, I, I, he was coming down from this intense moment. And so he was like, I'm just going to go outside and smoke and drink. <laughs> like, nothing happens on, like, they could kill a character on Mad Men. I wouldn't even care right now. Like, it would like, not. Like, Mad Men is ruined! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like that. Um, but yeah, there you go. I mean, that's the thing with all these books. Like, I try to, back to getting to, I guess, the, 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 the whole thing of this, like, with Nailbiter, I mean, yeah, I try to keep it grounded, do some good horror stuff, play with the tropes, play with the play with the comics medium. There's a little bit of that in, in Nailbiter number two. Uh, every issue has something that we're doing, and Ghosted is kind of like that sometimes. And uh, I don't know, yeah, like yeah, I mean, that's the thing with all those books. I treat them all the treat them all the same, pretty much. I still put the same amount of work in. I still uh, I still stress out. I still get anxious about them. And because I do talk to other creators, and they get very much like, well, just learn not to care. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know I've, how to do it. I've had the uh, same, my, I'm the worrier in my family, mm-hmm. and my father has, has told me, like, you know, Sam, you should really just stop worrying. Like, you might as well tell me not to breathe. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to. Yeah. 
Can't turn it off, man. <laughs> no, that's the thing with these books. It's the same thing. Like, when I'm working on any of them, I don't know how to, like, just suddenly turn that off and, you know, not care. Just pump it out. Mm-hmm. And I've had, this, I've had this conversation with friends of mine who are, like, I'll be behind on something and they'll be, you know, like, oh, just just, just, just do it, man. Just sit down and do it. Turn it in and be done with it. And I get like, oh, I just I can't do that. Like, my brain won't let me. I got to sit there and I got to. I don't know, it's always me. I gotta. It's hard to explain, but it's like I always say every issue has a thing. Like it's something I might notice and no one reading it notices. But there's just something about each issue that is like a gimmick of some kind, with storytelling, a thing that happens, a, a plot device, whatever. Until I figure that out, I have a hard time writing. And if I don't do that thing, whatever it is, like it can even be a line of dialogue, like one line of dialogue that kind of sums up so much of it. Uh, until I do that one thing, there is, uh, it's not coming to me. And if I turn it yeah. in without that, I will. It will bug the shit out of me. <laughs> like I will know. I will feel there is a problem, and I will know it before the editor tells me. I will know before any stuff. And it's uh, I can't. I can't do that. I can't just be like I'm gonna write this comic, turn it in, and be done with it. Yeah. Is, is it easier once you fix that thing and then you send it off, or yeah. does it still bug you, or are you still like kind of wake up going, oh man, if I, oh no, no, I'll fix it. That's why I mean I. Uh, Scott Lee told me years ago there's, like, different kinds of writers, and one of them he told me was the the person who never has that in the first draft. And uh, mm-hmm. so he's talking about, I'm, I'm never, ever going to be a first draft writer. Like, I will never be the guy who turns in the first... Like, my first draft is never the one that goes out the door. Um, yeah. I think the only time that's ever happened was with um, Robocop number one. It was the only one that I finished, turned in, and they were like, we love it, and then... MGM loved it. And the reason why I think that happened was because I did a lot of stuff I thought they weren't going to let me do. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, they're not going to let me get away with this. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Let them let them give me notes on it. And then they let me get away with it. So I was like, oh, cool. I guess I made it pass. But it was all cool stuff that I was, like, excited about. And I always joke around with people, like, um, when I, I always joke around with my editors that, like, whenever I love an issue, whenever I finish an issue, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this, I love it. That means that issue's going to have the most notes. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And so it's still like that. That's a thing. So I was that way yeah. with papers. It was like the the paper I loved the most was always the one that had more notes on it, and mm-hmm. the papers that I uh, would just like throw away. They were like, "Oh my god, this is a material. Can I have a copy?" Like, uh, what? Really? Okay. <laughs> well, I don't have that as much though. I think in a way, like I mean, thankfully, like with. With Captain Midnight, like, 9 and 10, specifically 10, I'm returning 10 in and being like, I love this issue. I hope you guys love it, too. I understand there might be a lot of notes. And they loved it, too. They did have a lot of notes, but they loved it, too. And that always makes me feel better about it. Um, usually usually the issues where I feel like I know there's a problem and I'll tell them, like, ah, eh, this issue's missing something, there's a problem. They'll they'll hit me up with it. Like, like, uh, <laughs> like Ghost at 11, um... <laughs> Uh, there was a the, the MacGuffin or whatever the MacGuffin of issue eleven. I don't want to say what it is because it's not it's not what it is. But the go the MacGuffin of issue eleven ghosted when I turned the script in. I, I loved it. Like, I I love that issue. I still do. They uh, I I knew I wrote my editor at Skybound. I was like, hey, there's a thing in this. It's a plot point. It's MacGuffin. I think you guys might have a problem with it. Like. Let's let's see what happens. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He was like, "That's that's too out there for ghosted. That may not work. That may not work." I was like, "Yeah, but the visuals of that thing are going to be amazing." And he's like, "Yeah, that's rad. Those are rad visuals." 
it might be too much for that book. Like, the rules that I have placed in that book, it doesn't fit as much. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. And so <laughs> then, um, I, uh, <laughs> took the script in, and then, like, a week later, I get this call from them, and they're like, that thing that you read about, I know exactly what it is, and you cannot do that. And they were very much, like, every, everyone liked it, and they all got it. They all got what I was doing, they all got why it was, but they were like, the rules that you've established, it doesn't mm-hmm. fit. And then I uh, I changed it. I changed it all around. We mixed some stuff up. I took the, the MacGuffin out, put a new MacGuffin in. And then the new MacGuffin I was actually really happy with. And it ended up becoming a... Because uh, 11, 11 doesn't stand alone, but it, it's a self-contained story. But it, it mm-hmm. has bigger elements from the from 1 through 10 and the bigger elements going past issue 11. But okay. it definitely has a standalone story in it. Um, Is this a bridge? Yes. But... Mm-hmm. The MacGuffin of that ended up becoming a bigger deal after that issue, which originally that wasn't going to be the case. It ended up becoming a big thing, and it's actually on the cover of issue eleven. It's the um, it's the issue eleven of Ghost that has a candle on it that's like made of skulls. That's mm-hmm. what the that's the new MacGuffin is. Is this, this candle, and that became a bigger element like going forward with with the book was were those candles, and mm-hmm. so it ended up working out. Like it ended up being it made the I think it made the script better. There's still a part of me that misses that visual because. It's Oh God! <laughs> like I look at it, and I think because it's, it's really just like taking certain things out. Like there's one particular splash page that like one thing had to be taken out, or thing had to be put back in. And I was like, God, that would be such a funny moment, like a funny thing. But then it was like, Oh, that's that's too much funny, too slapsticky. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't work in that world. So, are these pages that were? actually drawn or whatever? No, or it... no, 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 no. This is all this script. Is still the script stage, yeah. So even, oh. even when I see the... this one splash page in particular, whenever I see it, I'm always like... I've never, I've never seen any other version of it. But I always mm-hmm. look at it, and I'm like, that would have been funny. Like, I'm going to be like, if really you funny. had that, like, drawn, you could just include it as, like, bonus material. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that would be funny. You should, uh, yeah, when, when issue 11 comes out, ask me what it is, and I'll tell you. Okay. But I want to tell you what it is until then. Like, yeah, until you ask me, I'll be like, oh, so... Just, this, was, this is the question to ask me, so I'll remember. Okay. Um, what were they going to be before they were candles? Okay. Before they were candles, they were going to be something else. And I'll tell you, and you'll you'll think it's funny. I, I know you will. And then I'll flip out and be like, what? Why wasn't that? Nah, there? you'll know why. The moment I say okay. it, you're going to be like, yeah, that makes sense, but that would have been funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, so since uh, I know that you have to go, okay. um, we've been talking to you for an hour and a half, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, um, when is uh, issue 11 of Ghost is going to be coming out? Um, hold on. <laughs> I When I talk to Skype with people, I do interviews, I shut down my uh, my internet, forever. I'm like my, my browser, so I don't get distracted, and because it sometimes plays havoc. Um, <laughs> issue... 11 is out July 9th. There's like a little bit of a gap uh, because we're doing the trade. The trade is coming out in June that collects 6 through 10. And then 11 comes out in July and then we're monthly again after that. Then it's then it's back on the normal uh, then it's back on the normal schedule again. Awesome. I always look forward to it. And uh, Nailbiter mm-hmm. uh, Nail 2 will be out next month. Yep. Pretty uh, soon here. And- it's uh, June 4th. So two weeks from now. Okay, then I have yeah. to get started writing that review then. <laughs> <laughs> and then Captain Midnight, uh, is it, is it still... Um, yeah, it comes out uh, next Wednesday. It's issue 11, which is the end of the Better Tomorrow arc we've been building for a while. And then 
the trade that collects four through seven comes out that same day. All right, awesome. Well, well Josh, yeah, thank you so much no for problem. coming on the show. We we really appreciate it. Where can um where can people find you online? Uh, as well? mostly Twitter. I think is the best place to find me. It's just like Williamson underscore Josh, and then you can go to uh, my website, which is www.thejoshuawilliamson.com. Um, but mostly Twitter, I think, is the best place. Okay. And uh, Miguel, where can people find you online? <laughs> Probably the same. I, I do love the tweets a, a whole mm-hmm. lot. I'm at Miguel like comics because I do. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at Darlene underscore Sammy, as well as uh, the reviews that myself and Miguel do for WordOfTheNerdOnline.com. Uh, online.com and uh, you can uh, find us on iTunes please give us lots of stars uh, we're also supported by superherostuff.com right now we have a deal with them so uh, they, have stuff. they have stuff that are oriented towards superheroes I imagine uh, it looks good uh, but again uh, for all of us at Word of the Nerd and especially for Sam Speaks and myself Sam Josh thank you so much and uh, um, Good night, everyone.